Okay, cool. <laughs> you ready, Peter? No, ready. As ready as I could be. <laughs> Podcast episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this one we're looking at the psychology of money by Morgan Housel. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, yeah, it's been a really good book, I think, to just try and think more about money mm-hmm. and psychology and people dealing with money and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So. I should say, and I think I shared with you last week, or that was on Monday, that this this was the most challenging book I've read. <laughs> yeah, because um, you said it was like sort of dealing with money and things in yeah, general. It's just um, a, a weird topic. Yeah, a weird topic for me. Um, but I think um, the end, I needed to get to the end because it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's spoke about, you know, if you shy away from certain topics, you end up being in a bubble and not exposed to different things and mm. then you don't make the right decisions about it. So <laughs> I think after reading that, I think I need to rethink my approach yeah. to certain things. Um, so, yeah. Mm. I think like with most things in life, there's a balance where it's good to be exposed, but you can also be obsessed with the thing. Mm. Um, and so I think just, yeah, and, and that's also partly why I really like this book. It's because it's not like super technical money focus it's more just about humans interacting with money Mm. and how do you do that reasonably and he has some decent financial advice as well but that's not the primary focus Mm. of the book it's it's practical stories i mean relating to people around financial decisions and i mean you need a bunch of set of um, data and information to kind of make a concise decision so i guess Mm. He provided the data, yeah. <laughs> and then it's up to us yeah. to do as we wish with it, you know. Exactly. Um, okay, do you want to give a book summary, or do you want me to try and give one? Go for it. Cool. Okay, so as the title suggests, the book's about the psychology of money, and as the subtitle suggests, it's going through timeless lessons on wealth and greed and happiness. And the book looks at how different people think about money, how they feel about money, how they spend it or don't, and the idea of status and money, greed, the rational and irrational things that people do with and for money, and much more related to, of course, the psychology of money. Um, But mostly, it's about how we behave in relation to money. So he says on page two that the premise of the book is doing well with money Oh, sorry. The premise of this book is that doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave. And behavior is hard to teach, even to really smart people. And the author goes on to say that financial success is not a hard science, but it's a soft skill where you have to behave, where how you behave is more important than what you know. And then the soft skill is, again, what he calls the psychology of money. And so in 20 chapters, based on an original report that he wrote of the same title, The Psychology of Money, the book gives a series of short stories and examples in which the author is trying to convince you that soft skills are more important than the technical side when it comes to money. Yeah, that's, I think, what the book's about. (laughs) I should say it's important, um, that last bit, that it's about soft skills. And I think mm-hmm. that's so true in every industry or line of work that you're in. You know, mm-hmm. you can have the technical ability to do things. That's 
good and well, but you also need that ability, that soft skill ability, you know, yeah. how do you articulate yourself better, you know, how to, you know, just to be real and say, this is the reality of things. Technically, we can do that, but the reality is that can't happen because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I think a lot of people lack that. Um, mm. Yeah, and I mean, we'll probably chat about it further down, but I'm just in a situation where people are not making room for error. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that's something <laughs> that even financially needs to be considered. Mm. You know? And again, it is a soft skill. Mm. You know, there's no technicality about it room for error you have to think about it and say okay i need to account for this mm. yeah and there's there is i mean of course the the technical aspect to it mm. but it's generally um the bigger problem is that we don't have this the soft skill <laughs> we don't have that like way of thinking about so when we plan for things like with the room for error thing we think everything's going to go according to plan, plan but as yeah. he says in the book plan for things not to go according mm. to plan that's the the main plan um yeah no there's lots of good examples of that um where people just they don't approach things in the right way and then they fail because they expect things to be a certain way or they're too greedy or they um didn't plan for the failures and and that kind of stuff yeah Cool. Um, also, last um, little point on that that intro, which I think is really helpful. It's, I mean, it's saying a very similar thing, but that behavior is difficult to teach. I think that was a really yeah. mm. good point made in the book, and it's super obvious, <laughs> like with most things in life. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think it's very helpful to just be like, okay, um, you can show someone a bunch of different things mm. and you can show them the formulas and you can say that compounding is a great thing. But <laughs> at the end of the day, those behaviors that people have in place in their life often are the, the bigger cause of either issues or possibly even um, successes. Um, yeah. So that behavior idea is quite a good one. Cool. Okay, should we dig into some key takeaways? We can dig into some key takeaways. Um, cool. You can list your topics and then I'll add on to what you say and then po possibly... Check in some more. Yeah, check in some more. Cool. Yeah, okay. So the way that I did the, the takeaways for this one was just looking at my favorite chapters and okay. kind of taking pieces of them. I because did a similar thing. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> there's, I mean, if if people are interested in reading the book or even just the article, because um, the article apparently covers similar topics. I haven't actually read the article. I glanced at one or two little mm. parts of it. Um, but pretty much all the chapters are very helpful. I don't think that there was one chapter where I was like, oh, well, that was not necessary to include. Mm. Um, so, well done, Morgan. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so those summaries or the, the key takeaways that I put is, is basically just looking at some of my favorite chapters, but most of them are, are really, like, really great, yeah. Um, okay, so the first one is the chapter on Never Enough. When rich people do crazy things. I love that subtitle. <laughs> yeah, it's just rich people can do crazy things. There's yeah. obviously people that are very good with money, but 
um, it's also surprising to see just how distorted one's view of money gets when you get more of it. Yeah. And it all comes back to those lifestyle things and a bunch of things that uh, I'll touch on now. But, but yeah, it's just weird. Mm, no, I would say, um, I mean, it's, I think it's purely greed. Because, um, I mean, those that, uh, I mean, the story that he speaks about with the Gupta guy who mm. was already, you know, yeah. rich, you know, had, I mean, to me, lots of money, mm. uh, but still wanted more and... You know, that grid pushed him to do some unethical things, yeah. <laughs> and then ended up losing everything. You know, but even after being arrested and being released, when asked what he learned, I mean, he he felt like he did nothing wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know, strange. Um, so yeah, um, I think with that never enough, the one thing that, and I think it was mentioned in the summary is knowing when the corpus stops. Mm, um, yeah. I think that is a very important point. And I think that's true to everyone. Um, and I think personally, I would say, and I always tell my friends or people that I know whenever they start going on about money or that I need more money, I need more money. I'm like, you always need more money. Mm. Uh, you have to make that decision to say, this is what this period of my life I'm happy with mm. doesn't mean you don't need more than that we, everyone would love more money mm. but if you have that line whatever you get over that goalpost good for you but mm. everything else you can manage better you see so and I also think people throw out goals out there when they're not actually ready to deal with the repercussions for it um, because it's so well and to have more money, but then that changes what the decisions you make. Yeah, like, like, like you said, like um, mm. the guy already had more money, but wanted more money. Mm. Why? Because he was exposed exposed to what more money can do. Yeah, you buy the the forty two inch TV, and now you want the eighty inch TV. You know, and, and the forty inch TV seems so small now. But you know, meantime, uh, it's actually fine. Yeah, we just. Those goalposts shift. The shift, you know. Yeah. So you you need that discipline to just put your put your foot down mm. and be like, "This is it." But I mean, it's just said than done, I guess. Yeah. As always, <laughs> soft skills. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's a, a story from page thirty seven which I I like quite a bit. Um, I'll read it quickly. Let me just quickly turn there. So it's about, um, yeah, touching on these same topics. So uh, John Bogle, the um, Vanguard founder who passed away in 2019, once told a story about money that highlights something we don't think about enough. So the story goes, At a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island, Kurt Vonnegut informs his pal Joseph Heller that their host, a hedge fund manager, had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned from his wildly popular novel, Catch-22, over its whole history. But Heller responds, Yes, but I have something he will never have. Enough. And yeah, I just thought that that's... Like, 
it's again a super simple story, mm-hmm. but to really internalize that and be like, and and there's granted there's people that that really don't have enough and mm. do need more, but for at least I would say the vast majority of the people that we interact with on a day to day basis, we're in a fortunate situation where we probably do have enough, mm. even though we don't feel like mm. it. Um, and to realize that enough is enough and you don't need a mansion with five elevators and 20,000 rooms and yeah. Yeah. Rooms that you probably move in and move out without actually ever sleeping in. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Enough is enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's like if you, like you said, if you internalize that and really think about it, you know, I think it, takes some level of maturity <laughs> to mm. get to the point to be like no no this is it this is enough for me yeah um and i think that's what everyone struggles with you mm. know knowing what enough looks like to them yeah um sort of going back to that gupta story that you had mm. so if i would imagine warren buffett looking at mr gupta and saying so because there's a quote in the book that goes like this it says, um, to make money they didn't need, oh, sorry, to make money that they didn't have and didn't need, they risked what they did have and mm. did need. And that's foolish, just mm. plain foolish. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think it ties back to that, like where r- realizing where you have enough and not trying to get, like you were saying earlier, greedy people often mm. just they have this insatiable greed. Um, yeah. I think they tie tie well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I know probably sp- we'll speak about this later down the line or something, but I think that principle is, I think, something that people really need to think about because, for instance, let's say you get an X amount of money. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, 10,000 rand, mm-hmm. Right. And I know in today's <laughs> day, I can't say 5,000 rand is then considered enough for you. That's 5,000 rand more that you can do with other things. And in that regard, I don't mean even like splurging on stuff and whatnot, but as Morgan says you need to save almost everything you get and don't save it for a goal. That's like mm-hmm. you putting away half of the money that you earn. Yeah. You know? But it's that ability to be like, this is all I need. Because, you know, we all get decent amount of money, but at the same time, it's like the more you get, the more you're like, Oh, I can scale up. I can live in this house. Now. Yeah. I can live in this neighborhood now. Um, oh, I can drive a bigger car, you know. All mm. these things that aren't really supposed to be the case because you can drive a small car, probably get you to AMC. You might argue that it's not as safe, but it'll probably do that. And you're paying for way less than you mm. are for a luxury car. Yeah. You know? Um yeah, it's just funny how life works that way. The more you have access to the more <laughs> you want to spend. Yeah, it's the whole you know? billionaire buying yachts thing mm. where it's like for us 
that's the it's like what so why, why would you even want a yacht you know um but then when you get there then everyone around you, you has, has yachts so you're like this is the thing and then you get this desperate i mean going back to the greed thing you get this desperate greedy desire and you're like i want a yacht i want a yacht yeah um so there's a few um points that he also makes in this book so um it's about if assuming that you earn enough to cover your sort of base expenses and you have some change to splurge and splurging would be anything from sort of buying a new phone when you don't when your current phone is working fine but maybe the the camera isn't as good as you want it to be or any of those kind of things and so he says if if that's the case then remember a few things and these are the few things that he says so the hardest financial skill is getting the goalpost to stop moving. So that's that thing you mentioned earlier and 100% agree. It's you, it's you. If you can get that right, a lot of the issues with money sort of go away because you you don't keep buying these unnecessary things um, or feeling like you need more. Um, I don't think I'll touch on it, so maybe I'll, I'll just touch on it now quick is there's a story where he talks about investors and there's some investors that um, they're working 80-hour work weeks to make an extra small fraction of a percent where he says that there's there's sort of a couple percent in just lifestyle that they could easily forfeit, mm. but instead they decide to work crazy hours because they don't want to forfeit that... Un- I would say almost unnecessary lifestyle. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's the one thing, um, getting the goalpost to stop moving. And the other one we touched on now as well is that social comparison is the problem here. So he says that um, the point is that the ceiling of social comparison is so high that virtually no one will ever hit it. Mm-hmm. So coincidentally, that yacht analogy ties in well. Um and then another one is that enough is not too little. So enough is realizing that the opposite, that insatiable desire for appetite for more, will push you to the point of regret. So that's something else that he yeah. says there. Um, and then a last point that he, he makes in this list of things to remember is that there are many things that are never worth risking, no matter what the potential gain. So... Um, some of the examples that he gives were, I think, um, reputation and things like that. Because, and I, I at at the time I thought oh, it's a little bit of a weird one mm. because you know reputation isn't that important. Um, it's a little bit egotistical to to sort of be like reputation is important. Mm. And then I thought about it more, and he he spoke a little bit more about it. I think at at different mm. points, but. Um, your your reputation does have a lot of things tied to it and your social standing in a group of sort of family and friends and things like that. Having a good reputation isn't actually a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's And you can obviously sort of be too egotistical and driven by that, but and that would be the, the bad side of it. But just to sort of desire to have, I guess, in some sense, good social standing Mm. is in a strange way. And I previously wouldn't have have said this. I would have been too almost 
reserved to mm-hmm. say this, um, is that it is a good thing. Um, it's not as long as you don't sort of let it get to your head and go the ego route, mm. then I think it is a good thing to aim for that. And if you if you are risking that reputation mm. by doing bad things, whether it's sort of fraudulent mm. things or even risking your family's um, investment savings on a gamble because you think it might make you a, a massive turnover. Um, those are things that just aren't worth risking. Um, Actually, so on that point, um, I have a different view from... The underlying thing is the same, but just to pedal back, he mm. kind of um, tied uh, reputation with being egotistical, stuff like that. Um, a bit to differ, um, and I'll tell you why. Mm. Um Reputation is birthed from mostly good, right? Mm. And I do not think that I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But if you're being humble, you know, generous, and do you know that I don't think that in most cases will lead to you being egotistical. Yeah. I think he he even makes that point in the book. So he has that example of where he's telling his he writes a little um little blurb to his kid. I think he writes a letter mm-hmm. and this is like a little um piece from mm-hmm. that letter where he says to the kid effectively along the lines of if you think that having a nice car and um being super wealthy and all of these different things I don't know if he says the wealthy mm-hmm. thing. He definitely says the car thing. Mm-hmm. Um if you think that that's what you want, you're wrong. What you want is respect. Mm. And in order to get respect, um, you driving the fancy car is not going to get you that. Mm. What will get you that is um, kindness, humility. Mm. Um, yeah. So, mm. but I agree with you. And I think Morgan <laughs> agrees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's just my test that. And, um, there is actually a section in the Bible, <laughs> funny enough, a few weeks ago, the youth were looking at that. But it does talk about how, you know, it takes a while to build a reputation. Mm. But quickly, you yeah. can ruin that so quickly, um, which is a shame. You know, you, you, you can work your entire life to making a good name for yourself. And yeah, you do one thing wrong and like people forget all the good that you've ever done um, and I think that's the sad reality we live with and I think in another section of the book um, in a different context was about even when you invest in the small little wins uh, almost to go by a notice, no one says anything about mm. it. The, the one percent increase in the market a day, no one will scream on the rooftop that uh, you know the market has gone up one percent. But a one percent decline, then everyone's on the roof that the market is going mm. array. You know, so unfortunately, the good doesn't receive the spotlight it deserves, as opposed to the bad. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that whole chapter that we were speaking about just before we started with the the pessimism. Um people love mm. pessimism. Mm. There's a, a 
great quote. I don't think I'll I'll be able to find it now quickly. Seduction of pessimism. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. chapter name. Yeah, um, but there's a great quote that a historian writes. I'll just paraphrase it. Where he's like, he's just or he or she has just never understood the allure of pessimism like people just seemingly want things to go badly um and and there's sure there's a lot of things that are going badly in the world but um yeah we often don't look at the the good parts Mm. and stuff and i guess in some Mm. weird psychological sense it ties back to that desire for more we Mm. think that um when we're in a a decent situation we think that this isn't good enough Mm. there must be more more. um and then you either want to go travel or you want to do this or that and there's nothing wrong with any of Mm. those things but it's just when that sort of Mm. i guess underlying sort of greed kicks in Mm. then it it becomes a problem in that chapter sorry to just to add it talks about how if you look up at the technology advancement or the medical advancement that has happened in the last Mm. 50 years you know, it's like, and like, I mean, I think, I don't know what ex- the exact wording of it, but in the 1900s, tech was never thought to be something people would invest in, you know. But if you look at 100 years later, the market is filled with tech companies, like on the mm-hmm. stock exchange. And, but, when the smallest bad thing happens, people don't appreciate what has been accomplished in the last hundred to fifty mm. to hundred years, but just focus deeply on the things going wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying don't do that, but also I think learn to be like, okay, we we're doing all right. Mm. Um, but I guess maybe people become a lot more complacent if they're in that bubble that everything is all right and we're doing well and stuff. So maybe that pessimism, as that chapter says, just needed to give people that extra edge, you know, <laughs> that extra motivation. I mean, it's sad that that's the reality of it and that's how we live. But I think we need to appreciate the good around us, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it makes me want to read that book, Factfulness, mm. um, by, I can't remember what his name is, Hans something, um, where he, and, and I think he even quotes it in the book here, where he he just does all these different studies um, to, and he has a bunch of data that shows how things have been improving over time, and yet people sort of don't look at that. They just look at the the bad headline of, I don't know, someone, um, something bad happening to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, moving on to the next one. So that was never enough never and people enough. just never having enough or yeah. feeling like they never have enough. Um, do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next one I had was getting wealthy versus staying wealthy. Mm-hmm. And the subtitle there is... Good investing is not necessarily about making good decisions. It's about consistently not screwing up. Mm. Um, yeah, another good one. And I, it just, with the very minimal financial knowledge that I have, I think it's definitely, definitely a good point to make where 
people think that it's all about being this incredible investor and stuff. But mm. the main thing is just staying in the game. Yeah. If you can stay in the game and you do it consistently, then you'll be a lot better off. Mm. Um, I'll touch on a few things and then we can we can chat about it. Yeah. So I've got your um, building wealth and preserving wealth require different mindsets and strategies. Or as he puts it, getting money is one thing and keeping it another. Then he goes on to say... If I had to summarize money success in a single word, it would be survival. Um, so I want to quickly look at, um, there's a, a nice story. Oh, I don't know if nice is the word, mm -hmm. but there's a story about this guy, Jesse Livermore, who he was a, a wildly successful financial investor. So it's on page 57 where... Um, it says here, Jesse Livermore was one of the greatest stock market, market traders of his day. And by the age of 30, he was worth an inflation-adjusted equivalent of $100 million, which is just absolutely nuts. Then by 1929, Jesse Livermore was already one of the well-known invest was one of the most well-known investors in the world. The stock market crash that year ushered in the Great Depression, and that is what cemented his legacy. So what happened there is that more than a third of the stock market's value was wiped out in October 1929. And at that time, there was sort of obviously panic and worry. And so um, I think Morgan's pulling from some biography that was written, and the picture that's painted is of Livermore's wife who is, I don't know, say at home or something. And she's worried about Livermore because Livermore is now, he's obviously a massive um, player in, in the markets and there's been this huge crash and I'm assuming things on TV are crazy and people are worried. Or I don't even know if they had TV, TV back then, but <laughs> maybe black and white TV. <laughs> Um, and so there's all this panic. And then according to the biographer, when uh, Jesse um, gets back, so he basically stood confused for a few moments mm. and being like, what on earth is, has mm. just happened? Um, and then he broke that news to his family. And what happened is in a stroke of genius and luck, combination of both of those things he had been short on the market betting that the stocks would decline and so then his wife says to him you mean we're not ruined and he says no darling i've just had the best day of trading ever we're fabulously rich and we can now do whatever we like which is quite wild he's He's this well-known, famous investor by the time that Great Depression, that crash comes. And then he happens at that stage to bet against it, a stroke of genius and luck, and it goes down. And then because it goes down and he bet against it, he makes a ton of money. So that's really great and all. But here's the thing. He goes on to say, fast forward a few years, I think it's about four years, and the stories cross paths again. After his 1929 blowout uh, success, yeah. Livermore, overflowing with confidence, made larger and larger bets. He wound up 
far over his head in increased amounts of debt and eventually lost everything in the stock market. Now, I don't know how he did sort of towards the end of his life. I can't remember if they, they touch on it there. I but think he, he might have committed suicide. Or something, uh, yeah, yeah and, quite likely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the point is that, again, getting money is one thing, keeping money is another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, the last two little sort of points there are that he says um, growth, it's not growth, nor it's brains, nor insight, um, but the ability to stick around for a long time without wiping out or being forced to give up. That's what makes the biggest difference. This should be the cornerstone of your strategy, whether it's investing or in your career or in your own business. And then lastly, for this chapter, there's the idea of room for error, and we've touched on this a little bit before, which is what helps keep one resilient. So he says, yeah, many bets fail, not because they were wrong, but because they were mostly right in a situation that required things to be exactly right. Room for error, often called margin of safety, is one of the most underappreciated forces in finance. So yeah, those are the the sort of main highlights for me from that, that chapter. And I guess it, it touches on a bunch of different things that mm. we've that we've looked at. Yeah, I mean, I, I made a note here. Um, it says, "But keeping money requires the opposite of taking risk. It requires humility and fear that mm. you've made that what you've made can be taken away." I think that's um, that's something that people take lightly. You know, it's like I've made all this money, but they just never understand that you can have it today and then tomorrow all of it is gone just mm. because of a decision that you probably didn't make yesterday made years back and it's just coming back to bite you um yeah so that was yeah one thing i highlighted and i think there were just the, the points towards the end about um what you need to apply to have a survival mindset <laughs> you mm. know, in the sense that uh Get naughty and stand there, you know. Um, yeah, it says um, um, the, the first point says more than I want big returns. I want to be financially unbreakable, mm-hmm. and if I'm unbreakable, I actually think I will get the biggest returns because I will be able to stick around long enough for com- um, for compounding to work wonders. Yeah, you know, that's um, a great one. Yeah. And I mean, I think we skipped that chapter as one of them, but it's so there was a chapter before this that talks about confounding compound. Yeah, you know? I love that <laughs> phrase, yeah. Um, so I think uh, we, we over, I mean, I'm bad myself. I mean, I think for years and years I've been told about how important it is to start seven young and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not there yet. We'll get you the, there. The time's taken, but, you know, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, compounding works once, and I think that's just highlighted here that even if you make tons of money, you know, you need to put some away, you know, mm-hmm. allow that money to work for itself. Um, and then the second point uh, talks about planning is important, but the most important part of every plan is to plan on the plan, not going, going according to plan. That's mm-hmm. that room for error, you know, yeah. and I think most of us are not 
good at doing that. You know, we we think we're in this perfect world that, you know, won't go the other side. You know, you, you pin it down to the T, but, you know, that's not how life works. Mm. I think that has to do with finances. And, and I think Morgan does talk about how people don't plan for emergencies. You know, you can have your years mapped up and then you get a medical condition down the line that requires you to drain all your savings, unfortunately. Mm. But that's not something you don't plan for. Um, so, yeah, that margin of error is very important, you know. Mm. Put away money f- for the sake of putting it away. You never know what you might need it for. And I think that's, yeah, that's something, yeah, that I've taken away from this book to mm. say, um, just save money. Um, yeah. Like you, do not, you don't need a specific you, you don't thing. You need yeah. a specific thing. And I think I was good at that during lockdown. Um, and I think it's also because there's nothing to spend it on. But <laughs> <laughs> I was putting away money just for the sake of putting money away. And I think finally I'm back there. I'm, I'm back to putting money. I, I might have like... Not goes but say if i do put away money i might be able to do this it's not Mm. that it's guaranteed that i'll do that but i might as well put away money gives you those options yeah uh, and i mean it goes back to one of the chapters talking about freedom there's just Mm. some level of freedom you get if you manage your money well and you have that cushion somewhere yeah Um, and then the third and last um point i'll just um the middle part it says optimistic about the future but paranoid about what will prevent you from getting to the future i think that's mm. um you know a borrow personality it says um it's very vital um um yeah yeah i think that's we but, obviously want to cow away from that mm. um being paranoid about things but i think if there are things that you want to be paranoid about i think um the idea of of sort of being wiped out financially is one of the ones that's probably more healthy it's Mm. probably not also super healthy um but but i guess the general idea is just being very aware of the fact that things can wipe you out financially mm-hmm. and if they do it's can be quite devastating mm-hmm. and it's not that you can't ever recover from it or, mm-hmm. or things like that but ideally and it's part of the reason why people like warren buffett and them are so wealthy mm-hmm. is because they have consistently gone through i think it's something in the book mentioned either like 12 or 14 recessions Warren Buffett has held through all of those recessions. Um, And to be able to do that, you have to be mentally extremely strong and also have that room for, for failure. Mm. Um, And if you, if you do have that, then most likely you have some level of sort of not necessarily worry, but you're very aware of the fact that things, there are massive dips at times and you need to be able to withstand those dips in life in general and in finance. Um, and if you can withstand them consistently for a long time and keep on investing, again, 
with finance or with skills or with whatever it might be, doing that is will pay extremely large rewards in the long run. Mm. But you have to be able to withstand those yeah. those tail events, good or bad. <laughs> mm. Cool. Yeah. Should we go on to the next chapter? Yeah. Okay. So the next chapter was his his actually his final chapter. Mm. Um. So that chapter is confessions, and okay. it's the psychology so, of. So can I stop you there? No, go for it. Um, Let's get the confessions after then I, I add a few chapters because that's your three. Cool. I'm ready. <laughs> I don't be uh, as deep as yours was. <laughs> um, but um, I just highlight, I struggled to pick, but uh, Never Enough was one. Uh, so we've mm. already discussed that. <clears throat> so my next one was actually Freedom. And uh, I did briefly yeah. speak about it now. And yeah, he talks about how there's just um when you have again I'll go back if you have made the provision to have that cushion for you, you have the freedom to make certain decisions because you know you're going to be alright. Mm. Um for instance I will add a lot of different examples, some in the book, some not really discussed in the book. But um, it talks about how his father, but I think this is in the Confessions um, chapter or the one before that, how I did, she was, she lived from being poor, poor to getting by. And I think he became a doctor late in life and supported. But mm. there was a time where, because I think he was like, um, Emergency room doctor or something. Yeah, I think was like I mean, with most high, doctors, you yeah. work super long hours. Yeah, and, and it stuff, was yeah. a very high-stress environment. But he was able to get to a point to be like, I'm done, mm. you know? And I think that's the level of freedom that we need uh, to be like, if, for instance, if you're unhappy at your job, be able to say, I'm done, mm. you know? Because as much as you need the job, you have enough put away to... Sustain your lifestyle, mm. you know, for X amount of months while you look for a different job. Um, and I think that's what I th- think us young people at the moment are struggling with because we treat jobs as this is it, you know, I have to be in a job. You know? Yeah. But we need to learn to be able to start saving up, I would even say like two, three times your salary put away that if you ever want to get away of a sticky situation, be like, okay, I'm done, you know? Mm. And I'm sure it's a wiring situation, but at least you know you'll be comfortable for X number of months before you're really desperate to get a job. And I think money just affords you that freedom, you know? And Mm. I think it's really, really important, you know, um, for people to, yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Have that. Um, I don't know if you have anything. Um. No, I definitely agree with it. Um, part of the the sort of confessions part that mm-hmm. I go through is actually touches a lot on that. Um, yeah, it because it's a great it's a great thing to have that freedom, and if you <clears throat> are fortunate enough to be able to to have enough money that you can put aside a bit. 
Um, and again, I think Morgan would argue, I think I would argue yeah. that most people, probably people that would listen to those people that we would interact mm. with, most of those kinds of people probably do have enough money mm. to to put away and to save up that three, six, 12 months of mm. <clears throat> of expenses. But we often don't think we do. Mm. But if we were to get there, then it gives that a massive amount of freedom. Mm. Um, and, and I think he touches on the book as well, where that kind of freedom is one of the key drivers of happiness as well, because you, I guess you don't feel that isolation of like, okay, I have to do this thing. This yeah. is it. Yeah. Um, because I need to be able to pay the next bill at the end of the month. And if I don't, then yeah. Mm. And I mean, we're in a, situation where we don't have kids yet yeah. if you have kids and stuff that feeling is probably even worse yes, because yeah. you, you really can't dependent. yeah mm. um i just want to read uh, the opening section of this chapter it actually says the highest form of wealth is the ability to wake up every morning and say i can do whatever i want today people want to become wealthier to make them happier happiness is a complicated subject because everyone's different but if there's a common denominator in happiness, a universal fear of joy, it's that people want to control their lives. The ability to do what they want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want, is priceless. It's the highest dividend money pays. Mm -hmm. So I think I read that and I was like, okay, that's a chapter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I, th I agree 100%. Um, I think I'm, on, I'm in that stage in my life that you know like i want to do what i want when i want mm -hmm. um you know wake up today and be like okay this is what i want to do and know that i'll be able to do it yeah you know, um not having to jump through hoops having to ask people and you know um yeah uh, yeah if, if we're able to get there it's a really great feeling. place <laughs> to be yeah yeah so yeah, that was that. Um and then this one's going to be short, but um it's um Money in the Cup Paradox. Mm. <laughs> and the reason I picked that and uh, like I said it's going to be a quick one. It's about when you see a fancy car you're looking at the car, not who's driving it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a very striking reality that, you know, so often you see fancy cars on the the road, you know. Maybe only now, uh, there are those clips on social media where you see people asking, oh, so what do you do for a living, you know. But I know that Jack and Jill say a nice car and just be like, I want to drive that. Um, but you don't know how that person got that car. Mm. He might be in debt. Yeah. Or he might have paid it off cash. You know, people don't stop to consider that. You aspire to drive one of them, but you don't know what it takes to actually drive one of them. Mm. You might know, but you just don't know what you have to put yourself through to be in that seat. That yeah. um, and it ties back to that reputation thing where that, um, I think Morgan said to his kid, where you just, that's not that's not what things are about. Mm. Life isn't about that. It's more about that humility and kindness mm. and all of that. 
But then it also ties back nicely to that chapter on wealth is what you didn't see or what you don't see. see. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, we often think we see these people with nice houses and nice cars, but often that means more that they're in debt. (laughs) They owe a massive (laughs) amount of money money. to the bank Mm. rather than that they have a massive Mm. amount of money, Mm. even though on the surface it looks looks like they do. And in some sense, that's fine. But the dangerous part is if something happens that wipes them out. So a dip in the market or something like that wipes them out. Now it's really difficult because now you've set your lifestyle bar extremely high and you have no money because things have wiped you out and you owe a lot of money. Mm. Um, so, and if you, if you're in that kind of situation and you lose your job or bunch of different things go wrong then yeah it's a really really dangerous situation to be in which is going back to that um getting the goalpost to stop moving so yeah i think that's the added to that i have i think the last one i think we've spoken about at length um, but it's that uh, room for error mm. um so. Worth speaking about at length. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, I think as human beings in general, we just need to plan that, you know, something might go wrong. You know, yeah. People don't like... Plan on the that. plan, not going according to plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that needs to be... Even with our finances, you know, know that... Yes, that might be your budget, but something might break in the course of that month that you did not expect, you know. Um, and just know you should be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, um, it talks about if there's one way to guard against their damage, it's avoiding single point of errors, you know. Make sure that your stuff is not dependent on one thing. Your finances are not dependent on one thing. I, mm. I probably can say how, if you can't have multiple streams of income, something I haven't gotten right, but that's mm. one thing that maybe one can consider, you know. Uh, it goes on to say a good rule of thumb for a lot of things in life is that everything that can break will eventually break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and like I said, you need to budget for that you know it might be i know this is what like in a month your laptop packs up mm. and like i mean think about us we software developers and mm. likely we get that provided to us we're not freelancers but imagine you're a freelance and your one source of income packs up and you didn't save operate Mm. like to say that this might happen you will live in another assumption that you live in a perfect world where nothing breaks mm. you know that can ruin power your month or year yeah, you know if you didn't care for that yeah. but it's because you didn't think of that room of error you know um, and the problem is there that if that kind of stuff does happen and you haven't planned for it and granted most of us mm-hmm. haven't but if you haven't planned for it, now most likely, if you did have any sort of retirement savings or anything like that, you're now going to pull on those savings and then confounding, compounding, 
gets you've, wiped out. You've ruined that. You know? um, and you need that time in the market in order for that to to sort of build. To make sense, yeah. And I mean, yeah, I've talked about on this, but yeah, there's actually a point here. It says the biggest single point of failure with money is the sole reliance on a paycheck to fund short-term spending needs with mm. no savings to create a gap between what you think your expenses are and what you might be, what they might be in the future. Mm. You know, so yeah, we need to look at our needs, you know, re- reassess our needs, look yeah. at them and reassess our needs, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. That was all from that. Um, I'm cool. done. So short was, no, that was helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Then looking back at that confessions chapter. So that's that last chapter of the book. Or I suppose the second last chapter has a little end um, chapter there. Um, So Confessions, The Psychology of My Own Money is the subtitle. And that's obviously Morgan's money. So he says, or in general, Morgan likes the idea of freedom as we've spoken about. And put differently, he, he likes to use the word independence. So earlier in the book, he says that Money's greatest intrinsic value, and this can't be overstated, is its ability to give you control of your time. So you read a, a fairly similar thing a little mm-hmm. bit a, a moment ago. And so to him, this idea of independence is very important. And he defines independence like this. Independence to me doesn't mean you'll stop working. It means you only do the work you like with the people that you mm-hmm. like at the times you want for as long as you want. So it's very similar to, to that freedom thing yeah. that you read. And then it carries on. Independence at any income level is driven by your savings rate. And, uh, and past a certain level of income, savings rate is driven by your ability to keep your lifestyle expectations from running away. So that's tying a bunch of these mm-hmm. different things together. And of course, yeah, Keeping that stuff in check can be extremely difficult um, because we always feel like we deserve more. We deserve to treat ourselves more. Um, and yeah, if we're lucky to earn enough, um, it's it's difficult to to humble ourselves and be like, we maybe don't need more. Mm. That's not to say we shouldn't ever buy um, nice things for ourselves every now and again. But most of the time, I mean, it's like, with eating sweets, uh, I struggle with this certainly. But you, you get confession one. Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My this is my confession. But um, you have one sweet, and you just keep on eating more and eating more. And there's no real benefit to it, but it's just somehow our desires like just don't stop, and they just keep on. We want more. We want more. We buy one thing, we go on to the next thing, go on to the next thing. Um, yeah, and we just we just struggle to stop. But yeah. Um, but then carrying on, so related to that, he, he later says that if there's a part of our household, and our in this case is Morgan and his family, if there's a part of our household finance plan that I'm proud of, it's that we got the goalposts of lifestyle desires to stop moving at a young age. Um, 
yeah, another great point um, and something that we've repeatedly touched on, mm. but I think it's important. Mm. And then something else which I found helpful was his um, financial advice summary. So he says there, if I had to summarize my own views on investing, it's this. Every investor should pick a strategy that has the highest odds of successfully meeting their particular goals. And I think that for most investors, dollar cost averaging into a low cost index fund will provide the highest odds of long term success. Um, and I think in part, the reason why he's saying that is because um, dollar cost averaging is basically just saying normally on a monthly basis, because that's when people normally get their paychecks then go and buy the stocks then and keep on buying each month a consistent mm -hmm. amount and just do that over a very long period of time. That's dollar cost averaging because you're not dumping all your money at one, one point yeah. where that might be the low of the market, but it also might be the high of the market. Mm -hmm. So if you buy over a long period of time, then you're sort of averaging the cost yeah. over time. Um, and I, I think it's also that important to reiterate what he said there about picking a strategy that has the highest odds of meeting your particular goals because we can we all have ideas of what is important to us and take an example travel for me is not important at all i'm very happy to do things with friends and family around the city that i am if i get the chance to travel that's great but it's not something i'm sort of desperately desiring um, and there's some people where that is an important thing for them, and it's <laughs> yeah, and and it is an important thing for them, and it's not wrong that that's an important thing, and it's not even necessarily an expense that they should not or should forfeit or something, because it can be something that's that's valuable, and so for that person, their financial goals are very different to mine, because putting money aside for travel is an important thing to them because it gives valuable life experiences mm. in various ways and, and very good points to be made there. And then for me, it's different. different. And for someone else, it's different. I feel um, attacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Travel is, I think maybe it's just too expensive for me. That's why I avoid it. <laughs> Again, like you don't have to do the expensive. You do the the worst to see the world without spending an amount of leg. Yeah, again, it's about living within your means. If you want to travel and make it within your reach, you know, instead of going to Europe, travel Africa mm. or travel South Africa, you know. But people here travel and like, oh, I want to go to Bali, I want to go to Dubai, I want to go to Maldives. Like, no, this is, again... Different. No, just France. <laughs> no, I'm you know, um, we're different, so mm. you you can s experience different things, see different parts of the world, without having to spend. That's just my opinion. I might be defending it because that's that's because <laughs> you feel I, attacked. <laughs> you know, that's what I enjoy. But um, no, I think but, you. But, but um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, um, because. Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people do look at sort of it needs to be going overseas. Mm. Um, but there's actually, there's a lot of places that we don't see in our own country yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah. But that's also just another way of trying to 
figure out ways of saying, okay, I don't need to. Yeah. I mean, again, you can go overseas. It's not mm. like a massive thing if mm. people want to go overseas and yeah, they have the yeah. financial means. Sure. Sure. But don't put yourself in debt to go to overseas. To go overseas. And yeah. things, yeah. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Funny enough, I was actually last night talking to a friend. Um, we've all had the uh, misfortune of um, having our phones grow grow legs you know um at untimely points and i've dreaded for years um to get a contract and at the beginning of this year that thought crossed my mind i was just like i need a new phone and i need <laughs> it now you know yeah. and i want to say unfortunately but maybe in hindsight now i say fortunately that my contract i'm application was rejected and like thinking about it like if i was getting a phone on contract i was gonna get a phone that i can't afford mm. cash you know and I'm like, it's like again i would have been in debt i would have everyone would be like oh you have a really nice phone but you're actually like x amount in debt because you're actually still paying for it mm. um so yeah quickly reeled myself back in it took a few months of patience <laughs> mm. <laughs> but um looking back like i don't regret that it went that way because unfortunately buying cash makes the perfect financial sense but other people would disagree because that's money out of saved and you yeah know, it can <laughs> earn interest and stuff, and, stuff and, um, and i think that's the thing right mm. it goes back to what are your goals mm. what do you want it for you it clearly makes you feel more financially sound to not have that contract. Mm. And for someone else, having the contract might be a thing that's really helpful because it helps them to have a certain amount of money <clears throat> allocated to to data and airtime mm. that they can use and then they don't spend more mm. than that. Otherwise, maybe when they have prepaid, maybe they do spend mm. more. And that might work for them. But I think the important thing is when you looking at something like contracts or buying cash, if you can afford to buy cash and it makes you feel financially at ease, then that's a good decision mm. to do. If you're looking at uh, getting a contract, then probably my only piece of advice is don't trick yourself into thinking that when, you pay, when you're getting a contract now, you can all of a sudden get a super fancy phone because mm. at the end of the day, you're still paying mm, for the for phone. phone. Mm. Um, and so... I think that's maybe where people sort of um, the whole rational versus irrational thing and they don't quite make the the sort of rational decision, mm. um, which in some cases is fine. And in this case, so it's not the end of the world, but it's it's money that you, you're spending that, that you don't need to spend. Mm. Um, and again, if you have the money to spend on it and it's something you really want then that's okay. Mm. Um, but be aware of all of those kind of little ways mm. that, that we spend money. Um, just to touch on a last thing on, on that chapter, which I think was also very insightful and, and helpful, is he says that, so this is another quote, he says, one of my deeply held investing beliefs is that there's little correlation between investment effort and investment results. 
The reason is because the world is driven by tails. A few variables account for the majority of the returns. So no matter how hard you try at investing, you won't do well if you miss the two or three things that move the needle in your strategy. He goes on to say, my investing strategy doesn't rely on picking the right sector or timing the recession. It relies on a high savings rate, patience, and optimism that the global economy will create value over the next several decades. And that somewhat ties back to the previous book that we read, The Effortless mm. by Greg McEwen, um, because the effortless way here is taking the simple investment strategy and being consistent over the long term. Um, because we often think we need to be these, again, going back to the, the genius investor versus the person who has their behaviors under control. If we just consistently do that investing thing and we choose something like um, a broad index fund that has that diversified risk and stuff, then yeah, we don't have to do anything super fancy. We just have to be consistent. Mm. Um, so I think that's quite, especially coming from someone like him, it's quite quite a wild idea mm. to say there isn't really a correlation between that effort that you put in and, and the reward. The mm. Yeah. At least for most people. <laughs> yeah. Like the maybe the top sort of 2% of investors, there is a difference. But mm. yeah, the average person. Not really. <laughs> no. Cool. cool do you want to give some concluding thoughts any ideas to wrap up funny enough I've just been hit with something now that in summary you know, if you actually think about it it's all about and I'm saying this loosely um, in every aspect of life it's actually compounding because mm -hmm. if you think if you go back to atomic habits yeah <laughs> exactly you know it was about you don't have if I would use losing weight for instance you, you don't have to lose it all in one day you have to tweak your lifestyle do certain eat right exercise often and all that and that compounds to you losing the weight mm -hmm. and a healthier lifestyle same with money you know you don't have to all put it in one place at once you know you slowly put away money and over time you know that compound and it'll be lots of money 50 years from now mm. um, again with effortless you know like you find what works and stick to it and you know following set routines mm. you know um, so yeah that's that's my, my thought and also like I think another thing is know your goal and know what game you're playing um, yeah, I know what game you play. Um, because hmm. just looking at, oh, James is doing crypto now, and you don't know how he's managing his crypto, you know. You can't just say, also, I'm, I'm also going to, yeah, you can do it, but your strategies are different, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, and also don't... Don't listen what's out there. Do pay attention, but don't shake at the first uh, first thing coming in. You know, yeah. like you understand what's happening before you you decide to you know sell your stocks or something. You mm. know? Like 
understand the the trends you know be aware um don't be in your bubble mm. is what i'm trying to say um but yeah um in conclusion from my side if you can and you have extra money at the end of the month put it away and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all i can say um that Simple freedom that. that freedom is important you know waking up to be I'll go back to my traveling because that's <laughs> that's what i love waking up and be like i want to go to cape town and have breakfast there mm-hmm. <laughs> why not if you can afford it and doesn't break the bank or <laughs> put you in debt why not you know if that's what you love to do mm-hmm. do it um yeah just so matters what are your financial goals yeah just and have yeah. that in place and know what it looks like and <laughs> i know i'm bringing back another chapter but one that i forgot or thought we should add is what was it it was about um the costs um no everything has a cost yeah nothing's free mm. um know what it would take for you to have that lifestyle mm. like that end goal is like i'm putting my goal post there because that's how i want my life to look like yeah you know so it's it's about making those sacrifices mm. it's, it's, it's all about sacrifices as well you know make that sacrifice that i can't have take out today because i want to travel next week mm. <laughs> you know um yeah and i think that's what m- most young people lack it's this um instant gratification live now and yeah you know live now in the moment me 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 <laughs> yeah um but and yeah. it's difficult to get away from that mm. i mean yeah i don't think any of us are sort of perfect examples yeah. of escaping that yeah mm. but yeah those were my concluding thoughts nice mm. yeah from my side um so being good with money, I think, is more about psychology than understanding the economy or what makes for a great investment. And it's about how you behave in relation to money. So that's some of those points that he made earlier. And then he goes on to say in the book that um, that savings can be created by spending less. And you can spend less if you desire less. And you will desire less if you care less about what others think about you. And as I often argue in the book, so this is still him speaking, as I often argue in the book, money relies more on psychology than finance. And yeah, I think it's a a very good point. And drawing from those ideas and from just the general stuff that we've um, spoken about, two psychological virtues what i'd call is that is humility and patience so if you i mean okay for the humility thing he says less ego more wealth that's it's kind of as simple as that Mm. Um, obviously there's a lot of things that one can discuss and sort of tease out there Mm. but overall if you have that humility if you have less ego then you generally will end up with more wealth. And then on the patient's side, he says here, if you want to do better as an investor, the single most powerful thing that you can do is to increase your time horizon. So it goes back to that compounding thing. And what you were saying earlier is is 
a lot of things tie back to compounding. I mean, we're talking about finance, we're talking about health, we could talk about knowledge, all of those things, compounding. But it's important to realize as well that it's not just compounding, it's compounding with patience or consistency, however you want to phrase it. Because um, if, you, if you let it compound for a week or two and then you stop, it's not going to help. But yeah, I think underlying that compounding is almost the assumption that you need that consistency. So tying all these pieces together, um, we should have humility as that will cause us to show, show off less and then we'll realize that we often don't need the things that we think that we do um, and we often don't even really want the things that we think we do and Though that will in turn allow us to save more and related to that is realizing that of course enough is enough mm. and stopping the shifting of those golf posts and then um the room for idea i mean <laughs> room for idea <laughs> the room for error idea because life is full of unexpected risks that you don't want to let wipe you out um, but the good part of that is that resilience amidst that risk combined with the patience allows for compounding to do its magic because you need decades in the market for that compounding to really pay off and sticking through those recessions and waiting for those tail events to land in your favor. So just like Buffett where he stuck through those recessions and there was some crazy numbers like, um, I can't remember which chapter it was in, but where it's, at the time Buffett was worth $84 billion and 80 billion of those dollars was in the last very short while um, because compounding yeah. is, is wild and um, just in general related to all kinds of fields. I mean, we touched on, on them as well, but also coming to mind now is just the idea of, of, progress in technology and things and Ray Kurzweil I mean a lot of people sort of think he goes a bit extreme with his futuristic predictions and things and I, I don't really delve into that world but I know that his almost whole premise is built on the idea of we don't quite realize how powerful compounding is mm. our brains just aren't able to mm. to sort of compute um, and then, yeah, so consistency and getting through those tail events so that the odds land in your favor. Um, and then also, amazingly, because those tail events are hard to predict, there's that idea of there's little correlation between effort and results in investing. Mm -hmm. Because remember those tail events, because they're hard to predict, um, it kind of ends up being pointless to spend the whole day trying to decipher the financial world and, and all of that. But instead, the author's general advice, total cost averaging, or in South Africans' case, RAND cost averaging into <laughs> something like a broad index fund. And then very lastly, pro tip, don't just spend your money on unnecessary things. Rather, use your money to gain control over your time. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, great book. Highly recommend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Jens. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. We'll chat again.